So you're good. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, please feel free to grab a seat, get nice and comfy, and a big welcome. And thanks so much for coming down to spend probably the most temperamental weather day of the calendar year so far with us today. Just a day where it's been sunny, rainy, 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 sunny, sunny, rainy. Do I put the laundry out or not? I'm not sure. It's not actually a trouble I have because I still live at home and don't do the laundry. But today... This morning, we're, um, or tonight, we're, we're jumping into uh, a really exciting series. In fact, we're up to part three of this series. My name's Riley, by the way. I'm just one of the fellows that rocks up here every Sunday. But um, we are launching, or sorry, landing a plane on a series right now uh, that we've called How to Be the Me I Want to Be in 2020. In fact, we even got a cool little graphic for you that I can whack up on the screen for you if I can get my pointer right on the clicker. If I can just, boom, there we go. So wrapping up part three tonight, and we're really excited uh, that you've joined us, and even if you missed the last couple of Sundays too, so I can fill in some blanks for you as well. We really just wanted to give you a leg up uh, as you jump into 2019, as you launch into this year. And uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, found yourself at times just getting to the New Year's when you do your goal setting and, and all your New Year's resolutions and, and all the rest, just really struggle uh, with trying to review the year before, what 2019 looked like and what you really hope to get out of 2020. And what I want to let you know about this series tonight, whether you've been tracking with us for the last uh, three Sundays now or even just jumping in tonight, uh, is that this isn't just a self-help series for 2020. We really wanted to explore with you the person that you were created to be. And tonight's conversation is, is, is a super practical message uh, because tonight we're really starting this process to becoming the person that you were created to be. Last week, if you joined us, uh, you would have met one of our communicators, Chris, who, who jumped up and he left us with this application question, this question of who is the me I want to become? And maybe you've had a wrestle with yourself uh, before over the fact that I know who I want to be, but I just can't get there. I know who I want to be, but I've just never quite got there. Every year I tell myself, I'll do this, I'll give this a try. Surely if I change this about myself, I'll get the outcome I want. But when it comes down to the person that you know you want to be, you just feel like you're falling short. Why is it so difficult? Why am I still a frustrated person? Why am I still a, a worried person? Why do I still feel like such a busy or rushed or hurried person? Why do I still feel like I'm people-pleasing all the time? Or why do I still feel like I'm disappointing people that I actually really care about at times too? Why can't I just be the me that I'm 100% proud of? Why do I feel like I'm pretending? So tonight, we're, we're wrestling with two tensions. And the tensions, are, one tension I want to pitch to you first, the first tension we're going to look at is, is why do we struggle to become the me that you want to be? Why are our pretend me's so difficult to shake and so difficult to get rid of? Why is it so easy just to fall into this default of being our false self at times? And there are two things, kind of two barriers that I would say prevent us from shaking our pretend me's, these pretend versions of ourselves. And I'd say these two barriers come through two things, if I get this clicky going. First is this, is that we fear being rejected, but we want to be accepted. We fear being rejected, but we want to be accepted. We all want to be wanted. We all want to be, uh, feel needed. Built into us is this desire to feel loved. We all want to be known for something. We want to have a set list of adjectives that people use, these describing words that people use when they see our face or when they think about us. But good gravy, we don't want to be seen as a reject. We don't want people to push us away. We don't want to be seen as invisible, that we're on the outside, that we aren't good enough, that we aren't enough. Is there a worse feeling than this feeling of rejection? And the thing is, when we let our life 
be driven by this fear and this want, we can so easily let our big picture story, our future, be dictated by these three life statements that we can just slip into so easily. These three life statements of I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what other people say about me. That I am what I have. I am what I have. The wealth, the perfect family, the perfect relationship, friendship circle, the job, the security. That I am what I do, my career, my accomplishments, my performance. I am pretty much worth what I last achieved. And I am what other people say about me. How other people see me. Do they see me as enough? Do they see me as successful? Do they see me as competent, as able, as good enough? When I was little, uh, I had a crack at tubing for one of the first times, just down at the Baby Brown, actually, just down at the Pine River. And I got pretty excited when I was going tubing. And if you don't know what tubing is, tubing is when you uh, kind of have a boat out in front of you, a long rope, and then you kind of get on this inflatable called a tube. And when you're on the tube, I realize I've just mounted a horse. When, you, <laughs> when you're on the tube, you hold on you hold onto the tube front on, and all you have in front of you is just uh, this little handlebar grip, and it, it takes two hands to hold onto it. And the thing is, is when I was on this tube, I really didn't want to embarrass myself. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna let myself come off this tube in front of my friends or my mates. But it turns out when you're holding onto a rope with two hands, while whilst a boat is travelling at like three million knots, you are completely helpless to trying to stop your board shorts from slowly slipping down to your ankles shortly followed by your flowery undies that your mum just got for you the week before. I was in a predicament where I had two hands on this handlebar and I was in a stage where I just couldn't grab me pants. And you can't take one hand off or else you're going to end up in a really tricky situation and you're just coming short of being a bare bum billy. Now, the irony of this story is that just like when we hold onto a firm grip of what we have, of the things that we do in life, of what other people say about us. When we hold onto a firm grip and our hands are gripping tighter and tighter, trying to grab tighter and tighter, are just the insecurities that come with these life statements. In an attempt just to feel secure, there's a good chance that we're going to become exposed. And sometimes it's not even almost Rudy Nudy exposed. Sometimes we are more afraid that people will actually just see the real us. And at times that opens us up to an opportunity where we can be vulnerable with people and, and share, but at the same time, we can put ourselves in a stage where we want to remain hidden. We don't want people to see the real us too. You see, these life statements, these three life statements, they crave acceptance, but they also show a fear of being rejected. If we don't achieve the person that we want to become or the person that we think other people expect us to become, and you know that it's not real you-centered, you know that it, it actually leaks out the pretend version of you where you do people please, where you, you go over the top, where you fall back on this default self that you just feel like isn't you. And that's why tonight we want to help you shake these pretend me's. The people pleasing you, the envious bit of you, the busy frustrated you, the you that has some scars you carried from the past or from messy home life. Tonight we're beginning the journey of shaking the pretend you so you can begin your process to becoming the person that you were made to be. And to do that, we have to address this other tension. This tension that comes in the form of a question. And the question is this. The question is, who is the me that I'm supposed to be? Who is the me I'm supposed to be? I don't know if you've thought about this question before, if you've even answered this question before or had a crack at answering it. But I want to look at a moment with you tonight 
I want to look at a moment in history, in history when Jesus and his disciples were actually stuck in a crowd. And this crowd was like shoulder to shoulder busy. It was busier than like Boxing Day sales at Westfield Champsite. It was a big crowd. And Jesus is caught up in the middle of the crowd with his 12 disciples. And what you need to know in this crowd surrounding Jesus was that at this stage in Jesus' life, in his ministry. He'd been performing miracles. He's built up a pretty good name for himself. People have heard about his teachings and just how radical they were and, and how they just were countercultural to what religious leaders were saying. So Jesus was pretty well known, and this is why this massive crowd was around him. So in this time, Jesus is walking through this town. He's got this massive crowd around him, and he actually has uh, one of the fellas, in fact, a religious man from a local synagogue, which was the center of worship for the town, actually came running, uh, came running to Jesus, came over to him in this crowd, squashed between people to get to him and fall out flat on his knees to him to say, Jesus, my daughter is sick. She's dying. I need your help. Can you come with me? I'll show, her where, uh, I'll show you where she is. Uh, but I need your help. And, and this man just humbles himself in front of Jesus. And this was a big deal for this religious guy to be doing this in front of Jesus, going to his knees to ask for help. So Jesus says, okay, well, well show me where your daughter is. And the crowd comes with Jesus, just anticipating, like, what is this guy going to do next? We've heard about his story, but what is he going to do next? So this religious man is leading Jesus through the town. But the religious man isn't actually the character we're going to be focusing on in this story. You see, there's a plot twist character in this story, whose story will help us address the tension we were looking at, this question of who is the me I'm supposed to be. And if that sets the scene for you, big crowd, shoulder to shoulder, Jesus is trying to get his way through to get to this man's daughter, then I want to introduce you to the person we're going to be focusing on in this story tonight. And I'll read through with you uh, the person, and you're going to find out about them pretty quickly. So in the crowd, in the crowd that day where they were, there was a woman, a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhages. And this woman had spent every penny she had on doctors, but not one had been able to help her. Not one doctor had been able to treat her. And she's at the stage now where she's been trying to fix herself. She's been trying to do this DIY job on herself, going to people to try and fix her, con her condition for more than 10 years. And here she is in this crowd. And you see, because of her bleeding, the woman would have actually been seen as ceremonially unclean within the town. She wouldn't have been acceptable in a worship community. So as she's venturing her way kind of through this crowd, she would have been an outcast. She would have been an outcast and reject within her own town, within her own home. And for years and for years, she's been trying to fix herself, but now she has no money left. And the thing about the woman was that people would have been defining her by her bleeding. We don't even know her name. All we know is that she had this condition. And instead, the woman was actually defined by something else that wasn't the real her. And she'd been listening to people for so long, people telling her that she wasn't enough, that she couldn't be involved in this community. And she got so caught up within her own head and pretend self for so long that she'd begun to define herself by the very things that other people had defined her by. And putting herself in the shoes of this woman, you could only imagine the shame that she would have been experiencing from other people. The shame that she would have just been wearing, and that's the thing about shame, because it's so quick to tell you only the negative thoughts within your head. It's really quick to shut out the positive thoughts. But what this woman would have been experiencing was just an anxiousness and just a depression. She would have been walking around knowing that she didn't have any sense of belonging within this town. And in the midst of her shame, Shame is so quick to tell us that the only way to, to fix ourselves, that the only option is a DIY job, and, and this is what she'd been focusing on. No hands up for help. And guilt can lead to regret, but shame leads to a decay 
within us. And the woman is wearing this as she navigates herself through the crowd. But living with uh, the shame, she, she wasn't happy with who she was. And her every day was trying to figure out how to regain control, how to fix herself, putting herself in the shoes of the woman, how to move on from her past, and how to reinvent herself. She had to find herself asking this question, like, who is the me I'm supposed to be? So we see the woman is it's kind of slipping through the crowd, this big crowd where it's shoulder to shoulder. And in this time, she actually slips in behind Jesus. And in this moment, in, in everything that she's carrying on the inside, she manages just to get a hand and touch the edge of Jesus' robe. And now this is a big deal because if Jesus recognized this, a Jewish man who touched a bleeding uh, woman would also have been seen as unceremonially clean. So it would have been like Jesus almost getting like cooties here, like he would have been given this reputation because the lady would have touched him. And Jesus, as a Jewish man, should have pushed her back. But what we see in this very moment that the woman actually touched Jesus' robe was that her hemorrhaging stopped. The bleeding stopped. But also in this moment where the woman actually realized what had happened and this miracle that could happen, which I can say, if if you find the science of this just unbelievable, you should, because it is unbelievable when we're talking about miracles. If Jesus entered into the world uh, through that thing that we celebrate in December 25th or on the day of December 25th through this Christmas story, if Jesus entered into the world through the Virgin Mary, then I think any miracle should be looked at uh, through the lens that it's possible and it is legit. And this is why in this moment, this lady would have just seen this. This woman would have seen this as a miracle. My bleeding stopped after all these years. Finally, I've been healed. But also in this moment, Jesus has actually realized what has happened. In fact, as we read on in this story, Jesus said, Who touched me? Who touched me? And when no one stepped forward, one of his disciples, Peter, said, "Um, Master, like, Jesus, we're kind of squashed up in a crowd right now. Like, there's a lot of people around. A lot of people are probably touching you. Like, dozens have touched you today. But Jesus insisted, no, 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 someone touched me. I felt power discharging from me. And when the woman realized what had happened and when she heard what Jesus had said, this, this call out, she knew she couldn't remain hidden any longer. And in the state of just being healed, she actually knelt trembling before Jesus in front of all these people and she blurted out her story. She told Jesus and the, and the crowd and the disciples, she just told them her story, why she touched him in the first place, and how at the same moment that she was actually healed. And she would have been rambling. This was 12 years ongoing of just being boxed into this condition that had just defined who she was. And remember, to everyone else in the crowd, this woman would have been seen as unclean. But people were standing away from her in this big mass. There would have been people around her, yet she's been healed. And they didn't even think that she deserved the, intention, uh, the attention that she was given. Yet this is Jesus' response. So Jesus actually comes towards her, knowing the culture of the time and what people would have been thinking and who they knew the woman as. Jesus says, Jesus said to her, Daughter, daughter, you took a risk trusting me. And now you're healed and whole. Live well and live blessed. And we need to acknowledge a couple of things just in this conversation that Jesus has with the woman, with the woman as she's knelt before him. That Jesus actually acknowledged that this was a risk for her to reach out and trust him in the first place. So this whole situation, it was, it was really countercultural in terms of how people would have been perceiving it. But at the same time, Jesus gave her a name. Jesus called her daughter. He had accepted her and given her a new way of seeing herself, that she deserved to be known as more than just how everyone else around her, this whole crowd, this whole society, and this culture around her saw her. She was given a new name 
under a new family. And despite her shame and despite her mess and everything she was carrying in her life, the woman made a decision to reach out and touch Jesus' robe. She took on uh, a different invitation, an invitation for the first time to actually see Jesus and know the man that he was and actually take a risk and actually reaching out in faith. And in that moment, the woman was seen by Jesus. In fact, maybe she was seen for the first time. She was seen by the people around her in a different way too. She was given this name, you are a daughter. And we see in Jesus' response to the woman, he doesn't treat her like that of the worship community at the time, let alone the crowd of the time. And she says, you took a risk trusting me. And it was a risk. It was an act of reaching out in faith. But it gave the woman a new life. Her bleeding had stopped. And reaching out to Jesus gave her a new name and self. And this just fits so well into just how Jesus just did life. And as we read across that second part of the Bible called the New Testament, where we just see the story of Jesus' life and, and how uh, he actually did relationship with people, one person that just complements what happens in this moment in the crowd so well was a follower of Jesus by the name of Paul, who wasn't always a follower of Jesus. In fact, it wasn't until he actually saw Jesus and had an encounter with Jesus that he became a Christian. Before that, he was pretty much a religious terrorist who went around locking Christians up. But when Paul actually meets Jesus and encounters the risen Jesus, he realizes he has every message to spread this message of hope to the world, and so he does. And there's a letter that Paul, this guy, wrote to a church in Rome a long time ago. But he writes to the churches in Rome because their culture back then was just as messed up, just as crazy as the one that we live in today. But like I said, he compliments this moment in the crowd with the bleeding woman and this conversation with Jesus so well. And this is what he writes. He says, don't become so well-adjusted on the culture around you. Awesome, here we go. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so accustomed to everything happening around you, what you see on your social media, to what happens at work and the conversations that you have with other people. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. And then Paul writes on to say, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. What Paul is saying that a relationship, a relationship with your heavenly father is the only accurate way for you to understand yourself. That what you do, what you have done and will do, will not and does not accurately measure you the things you've done in your past, the rights and the wrongs, the wrongs that you leave firmly in your past and the hope that you can forget about them one day or the wrongs that you leave in your past because you know it actually hurts someone you really love. They are not an accurate way to measure yourself. That how you view yourself, what your idea of a successful life is like is not an accurate way to measure yourself. That the anxiousness is not an accurate way to measure yourself. Your fear of being known is not an accurate way of measuring yourself. Comparing yourself to others is not an accurate way of measuring yourself. It's only going to leave you feeling shortchanged every time, every day. And when you feel like you're being dragged in so many different directions in life, when the pace and just busyness of life is just pulling you in all different ways, when there's so many people to please, when you fear that you're just disappointing people around you, or you fear you'll be rejected and not accepted, it's so easy just to hold onto that rope and keep our hands tighter and tighter on these three life statements that our culture seemingly lives by. That I am what I have, that I am what I do, that I am what other people say about me. You see, these aren't as much life statements as we know and we can see them as just simply three lies. 
No, it doesn't reflect the true version of ourself. And all these lies we tell ourselves is how to go about a pretend living. And what Paul writes is that the only accurate way to understand ourselves is and by the one who blessed you with your knownness in the first place. That the only accurate way to actually understand ourselves is by what he does for us and who he is, not by what we are and what we do for him. That this isn't a performance-based God and he doesn't need a perfect you. In fact, he just wants to be present with you. Even in the busyness, even in the rush, even in the hurry. This is about presence over perfection. This is an invitation to a brand new life, a brand new starting point. A life where you can live and feel unrushed, where you can feel unhurried, where you can actually feel a rest and a peace, a life not in hiding, a life where you can look back and know that you became the person that you were supposed to be. Because the only thing worse than that feeling of not being good enough, the only thing worse than that feeling of, of failure is regret. And regret kind of packages itself up with, master, with these master emotions of, yes, shame and guilt, but it's just this feeling of not being able to undo something. Wishing we said something earlier. Regret is this feeling of letting yourself down or worse, someone else down. Regret leaves you chained to past mistakes. And one of the greatest tra- tragedies in life is that we end our life without knowing who we really are. So to help you become, to help you start the process and start a new story this year in 2020, to write a story with no regrets, but a story which actually saw you stepping into the person that you were made to be, we want to give you an application question tonight. And if you haven't joined us before, this is the time of the night where we kind of uh, give a little bit of a next step. We like to call it a four Monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church if it's not going to change you, there we go. If it's not going to change you, if it's not going to impact you for the rest of your week, for Monday. So this week's for Monday, this week's kind of application is to ask yourself this question. And maybe you had an opportunity to ask it next, uh, last week in a pretty general kind of broad overview with Chris. But this week is really specific because it's just looking at the next 12 months in this year. Who is the me that I want to become in 2020? Who is the me that I want to become in 2020? Maybe if you're a journaler, you can add take some time to to make some notes around this. If you just need to have time to yourself, just to think about it and give yourself the time to actually think about the person that you're becoming and who the person you want to become this year. Because the most important task in life is not what we do. It's not what we have. It's not what other people say about us. The most important task is who you become. How much time do you actually spend thinking about who you're becoming? It's really easy at times. I know just when things are busy and when it is a rush, just to think about what are the things that I need to do? Or if we're not thinking about that, then we're at that state where our brain is so frazzled that we're just asking ourselves this question of what am I doing? And even in that time, these, these, both those questions, they, they offer no foresight. They're reactive questions to circumstances. See, the process of becoming offers an adventure to live and acknowledge the battles that you need to fight. And part of the process is that, yes, it's an adventure, an adventure of maybe ups and downs too. And whilst this question in itself may sound like a little bit of a self-helpy podcast or TED Talk application question, I can understand that. There is more. Because if we're going to seriously consider what Jesus entering into the world means for who we are, then we need to seriously consider that when you become who you were created to be, you become more of you. That when you become the person that you were created to be, you actually become more you. And who's you? You is the person that God created you to be in the first place. The creator of the universe created you to be in the first place. That the real you can experience a life that isn't overcome by fear, 
or hurt or worry or busyness or judgment or rejection or guilt or shame or even the regret. That when it comes down to everything, it's only when we give our pretend selves over to, over to God that we can experience true peace. It's only when we give our pretend self to God that we can experience true peace in being the person that we were made to be. But the reason that being the real us is so frightening at times, the pretend us is such a default, is because the thing that we all want is just to be understood, just to be heard and to be loved, and yes, to be seen and known, but it actually requires us to give up control. It requires us to give up control of who others see us as. And, and you and I, don't have complete control over our future as much as we want to just have a hand in, in everything ahead of us. But here is the fun thing about this process to becoming. When we pass over control to the creator of the universe who knows us best, who got us here in the first place, then we have an opportunity to take on a whole brand new way of measuring ourselves. And why is this such good news? Because reaching out to Jesus means you don't have to trust yourself to fix yourself. It means you don't have to live a life trying to fix yourself. We don't have to get caught up in the culture of decay and just that feeling within us that just stirs up inside of us and eats away at the real us. We don't have to fall back on the pretend version of ourself. Why? Because when we accept this invitation, when we step into a relationship of just knowing Jesus and reaching out in faith, it's also annoying that God is more committed to who you become than you. It's knowing that, yes, you might know the person that you want to become, but at the end of the day, you have the creator of the universe who is on your side, who is for you. And he's committed to you becoming you more than you, more than your friends, more than your parents, even more than your grandparents, which I know is a big call. But this is the creator of the universe who listens and he waits patiently for you to come to him. That you don't need to perform in order to grab God's attention and earn his love, that he loves you unconditionally. And this process of shaking our pretend self, it's a process of all people. In fact, it's the process of the church. And church, not just as a building of a Sunday, but church as a community of people, a community of people that need people. I understand that, that stepping out in faith isn't an easy step. It's like we said, it means letting go of parts of our life that we've held onto for so long. And even those three lies that we've held onto so long that just dictate our life. But what we learn from that plot twist character, from the woman in the crowd, is that it takes courage. It takes courage to reach out. And we don't have to be perfect in that moment of courage, and we don't have to feel like we're good enough to reach out and accept this invitation, this relationship. In fact, it's far from it. Jesus says, bring it all to me. And that's when it comes to faith. When it comes to faith, faith isn't always knowing the end of the story. Faith is actually trusting in the one who does. This is why we just love to journey with you this year across 2022, just as a community that knows that when we learn more about others, we have an opportunity to learn more about ourselves. And when we have an opportunity to learn more about ourselves and the people around us, we have an opportunity to actually learn more about the creator of the universe too. The creator of the universe who is on your side, the creator of the universe who sees you as strong, sees you as invaluable, sees you as a masterpiece, who sees you as invaluable that you were put on this earth for a reason, a design for a purpose. So stepping into this year, you can take courage in knowing that you're being called to a higher standard of yourself than you even know. So I'd love to pray for you this morning, just over the year ahead and just as we reflect too. And then we're going to jump into a time of communion together. But let's pray together. 
God, we do. We just thank you for the people in our life alongside of us that we can rub shoulder with. And, and we know people, Father, that you've placed in our life that can just encourage us. But God, we just ask that when it comes to this question of who is the me that I've been designed and just created to be, that we can know that through your eyes, you do, you see us as invaluable, that there is no one else in the world like us, that in fact, there was a one in three trillion chance of us being born into this world, and that in itself makes us a living miracle. God, we know we have every reason, yes, to be thankful for the people around us, but we just think of the things that are holding us back as well, and that pretend version of ourselves that, that can just become our default as well. So God, we pray for courage as we step into the rest of 2020, into this new year, and as we step into this process of becoming as we reach out in faith and just know that the person we were created to be is far greater than who we even know. God, we pass the burdens over to you, but we just give you thanks. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.